live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Good afternoon out there in political land. It is time for the best damn political show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 Up Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday to my left, he is the former floor chief for then Minority Leader Gerald R. Ford. He is the former Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation. He is Bob Hines. Hello, Robert. Hello, Justin. And joining us soon will be Congressman Al, but to my 12 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who worked for at least four presidents that we know of. He is the longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington Insider, Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And to my 1 o'clock, he is the former Executive Director of the Democratic Party of the Great State of Maryland, former Fox lobbyist. Carl Tubin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. And to my right, ironically, he is the former Biden political operative, longtime Democratic political operative, and bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia, Dan Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. All hail President elect Trump. There you go. Hey, yeah. so in case you have not heard, big news coming out of Washington, D.C., and actually everywhere. Uh, last night was election night. And after 19 months of just pure ugliness and insanity, we have a new president-elect. The American electorate has decided to send one Donald J. Trump, businessman from New York, to the White House in a four-year term in what can only be described as stunning, as completely unbelievable, it is even unbelievable to many in the Trump camp that they all have jobs today. It, this was an absolute shocker result. The bottom line here is that uh, Donald Trump has won, as of right now, 290 uh, delegates to Hillary Clinton's 228, giving Donald Trump above 270 for the election. What do you mean? Yes. However... Hillary Clinton, as of now, has won the popular vote by better than a million votes, but still could not close. Less than that. The, was it less than a million? Yeah, it's it the 200,000 range. Is it 200,000? Wow. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. That's, that's news to me right cares. now. And who cares? It's basically Donald Trump's show. Uh, late last night, as uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan were called, uh, it 
was announced that uh, uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton did, in fact, call Donald Trump sometime around 1 a.m., 2 a.m., to concede the race to Donald Trump. Uh, it then, Donald Trump, President-elect Trump, then came out and gave his victory speech sometime around 2.30 a.m., but big, big news. Bob, how, how shocking is this to the Republicans and the party as a whole? Well, I think it was uh, quite a surprise, basically. I mean, uh, Mr. Trump is uh, you know, not a, quote, politician, a professional politician who's run up through the levels and all that kind of stuff. He is a guy who is, uh, he's been a businessman, he's very successful, uh, but he is outside the mainstream of a, quote, the political world. And yet here he is with the nomination of our of the Republican Party for the next president of the United States. Republicans hold that party. So he's, he has moved in an amazing way out of where, you know, who heard of him three years ago, let's say, three or four years ago. Here he is, the president, going to be the president of the United States. That's an amazing thing. Joining us around the table right now, he is the former eight-term member, I'm sorry, four-term member of Congress. Eight-term member of Congress. He's the former (laughs) eight-term member of Congress representing the second congressional district of Washington State. My apologies for being late. I I, I was, couldn't end my primal scream (laughs) soon enough. (laughs) This is Congressman Al Swift. Primal scream therapy or just primal scream? It was just... It, it, it was therapy. It was therapy. Congressman Al, before you light that cigar, let me ask you, uh, how shocked are you still, or how shocked were you last night as you started seeing the numbers roll in? Well, everybody sitting at this table has been talking about this issue for a year and a half, and not a one of us would have predicted this. Uh, in fact, we all sat here last week and predicted something quite different. So it was quite a shock. Uh, Alan Moore, when, when we look at the dynamics of this, you know, one looks at it on the surface and said this was just angry, disenfranchised, white, undereducated voters. Do the numbers support that assessment, or was there a hidden electorate that we just didn't know. Well, there, there are many strains here that, that that came together in sort of a perfect storm for uh, for Donald Trump and against Hillary Clinton. Before we dissect that, let me let me say one other thing though, because I got up this morning. In my world, there are a lot of women. There's a wife. There's a daughter. There are two. There are four stepdaughters. There are three daughters-in-law. There are five granddaughters and another one on the way. So the women in my life and in many of our lives were in great measure fearful, uh, distressed, and even distraught this morning. Um, And and in my mind, they lost the chance to have a woman president, which was very meaningful to all of them. and at the same time, they see a president who has expressed Neanderthal and disturbing thoughts towards women. 
we don't necessarily know exactly how he feels, but we cannot ignore the words that have uh, arisen in this last year and a half. So for them, it's sort of a double whammy. We lose the, 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 the woman president and we get this guy about whom we have many concerns, fears, and suspicions. And then if you're a minority, then it's kind of a triple whammy because of all of the, the anti-minority uh, comments that, that he's made. And then if you're an LBT woman, you're, 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 it's a quadruple whammy. I mean, there's a lot of fear, a lot of reason to be fearful. They're real. They're based on things that, that, that they've heard. Well, who is the real Donald Trump? We don't know. He was a Democrat for a long time. Had lots of friends, was fun to be around, was a successful TV personality. Would you call him a playboy? Well, I, he certainly was at one time in his life. Um, and, and we, we may, maybe even after it, during his marriage at different times. Or is he the ugly, bullying, judgmental misogynist? Or is he some combination? We're going to find out. Now, Hillary Clinton made a, a, a really classy and gracious statement today in which she said, this is a quote, we, we owe him an open mind and chance to lead. Um, well, it's hard to kind of wrap your arms around that. Right. If you're a woman right. today, uh, give, give her all the props uh, you, that, that you can for, for having the ability to think those things and say those things without, without falling apart. Um, Trump, I thought gave a gave a, a a good speech last night, a good start. He has got this tiger by the tail, and he didn't. It's like a dog capturing a car, not knowing what to do right, with it. Right. So anyway, and then the, and then I thought the president showed yeah, a lot. We're going to talk about press. all that. We're going to talk about all that. I just what yeah. I wanted is what I you what I simply talk about all of it right now. What, <laughs> well, I, I I wanted to acknowledge this fear and uh, that 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 many women and girls have and to pay attention to what Hillary has said to to be at least open to Trump to listen to the president and and not totally give up and fall apart this is how our country right. works let's see what happens Dan Lipner yeah, well, I'll get to you Carl hold on hold on I'll get to you Carl Carl's upset that I I skipped but Alan brought up something here real quick. Is the, when we talk about the women vote, the, the shocking numbers that are coming out on how well Trump actually did with women, are we shocked by that number? Well, the number split. Um, they, we got this from exit polling uh, that the well, minority women didn't vote for Trump. The big split was white women with with the with the with the data points separating Trump voters versus non-Trump voters being college education. College educated white women, likely Hillary voters, and by a surprisingly large margin, non-college educated white women swung pretty heavily toward Trump, which is shocking to many people. And if, if you want to call into question part of the Clinton strategy, the heavy, heavy media buy on the Trump uh, parade of horribles that he said about women uh, advisors, most of us have commended for being a wise choice. 
but apparently it didn't land with impact. And and I, while I'm hesitant to say this again, I mentioned it last night to, uh, to uh, one of the folks watching the show with us. It's unbelievable that that women would vote for a guy like this, to which I simply responded. It, it, it suggested that well, a fair number of their husbands might be that same guy, and wow. that I that that resonated. It was unintentional, but being out in the field politically, I have seen those households, and it's a weird dynamic and not something that we see casually every day inside the Beltway. But as most wise political observers who are inside the Beltway should realize. This is not the real world. Real America does not look like this. Well, look, Carl Tubin, the, the big question that is coming out this morning and today is, was Hillary that bad of a candidate, or was Trump just underestimated by the political operatives that usually run campaigns? Did we underestimate the candidate that Trump was? Yes. Uh, we've had this discussion for a year and a half now, and the discussion was <clears throat> that every time he did something bad, he always came out on top. Uh, <clears throat> the big thing with Hillary, unfortunately, was is the trust quotient, and <clears throat> uh, many people, even though they didn't trust. The president elect, they didn't trust her also. And that was a factor. And the the thing that we talked around about the table in in the primaries was every time that it looked like Trump was going down for the count, he somehow came up and and, and made it through. And and I think I said a week or two ago that. Uh, even with some of the troubles he was having at that point, the the uh, Comey uh, announcement comes out, and uh, Hillary, who was ahead at the time, starts to lose in the polls, and Trump made uh, some comments, uh, and <clears throat> once again, uh, when everyone thought that Hillary had it, uh, Trump came out on top. It comes out. It comes out when when we look at the the results of last night's election. Did was trustworthiness trumped by character? No, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened last night, but I think that we need to look at and try to analyze the electorate as much as we try to need to analyze what the various candidates did and stood for and didn't stand for. Is, is, is that a big separation right now? Was the electorate the big unknown versus the character and trustworthiness of the candidates? I'm inclined to, to move in that direction. I think both political parties have neglected the lower middle class rather dreadfully. But if I, if I yeah, No, no, go, go, go. I'm not, this is, this, is, this is supposed to be a joke. The difference between a Republican and a Democrat is that if you're walking by a, a, a lake and there's a guy 30 yards out drowning, 
the Republican would throw him a 15-yard rope and say, do the rest for yourself. The liberal Democrat would come along and throw him a 30-yard rope and then drop his in to wander off to help somebody else. <laughs> now, I think there's a lot of truth to both of those analogies. Uh, and and it, it's left the middle class saying, who, who, who the hell is taking care of me? Yeah, Alan Moore, you're, you're nutting your head in agreement. Yeah, no, I, I do agree uh, with Al that this is much, uh, you know, the, the candidates obviously matter. Where I start with this election is the, is the right track, wrong track numbers that 60, that just the days before the election, 62% of the people felt that the country's on the wrong track. 32% felt it was on the right track. Well, what an amazing, and this is not that different for, for most of this year. It was like this extraordinary opportunity for Republicans that it looks, it looked as if they had blown by picking the wrong candidate. Now it, 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 who are these people who feel like we're on the wrong track? They're the kinds of people that Al was talking about, um, the, the, the lower middle class um, who are angry as hell about the, the, what happened to them eight years ago and has not improved since. Retirement plans blown apart, losing houses, losing health care, losing you know, chances for their kids. And, and they are also resentful of the way they're treated, taken for granted, lied to in their mind by politicians promising to get stuff done. Um, and some of them blame immigrants. Donald Trump, I think, almost stumbled onto that and then rode with it. What this guy does, when he hears uh, applause, he builds on it. And some of the ugly things he said, I think, were results of, of him reacting uh, to uh, to to the him reacting to the crowd reaction, which is where I get some, dog some hope, some hope that the real Donald Trump will will is different from the one we've seen. Right. The one we began to see in the last month right. when he was more disciplined. Right. Carl Thuman. Yeah, I think, in my mind, the, the, they pointed out last night that um, they kept pointing out to uh, Hillary's strong points, and they were the cities and the suburbs. Uh, and then something came across saying that in, in, the, in the counties, and in the rural areas, excerpts, uh, excerpt, whatever, the Republicans came out and, and people voted Republicans. So it seems it seems to me possibility that in this strategy they had, this this people on the ground and all didn't go far enough. That we didn't reach out to the suburbs and try to find Democrats or organize there. Or try to, to get people to look at the Democratic Party in a different way, so that so that the suburbs wouldn't be all red as they are. Dan Lipner. Well, but following up on Alan's point about the right track, wrong track, and that's true. But the problem is the consensus on what was wrong and the wrong track, and and some of those numbers are just diametrically opposed. It's similar to the Obamacare numbers. People would say, well, Obamacare is a, a, a failure. Yeah, but if you dig into those numbers, you, you get almost an immediate split down the middle of half saying it didn't go far enough and half saying it didn't, it, it went too far. So that, that failure for a consensus other than the public saying we are mad as hell and we're 
pit, and we're going to take it out on everyone, is kind of what we saw last night. But worse yet, and prior to last night, we, there was talk about a mandate, what would people need to have to win, and we got none of, we got none of that satisfaction. All right? Donald Trump, while winning the Electoral College, looks like he's going to lose the popular vote. The states that were in play, and I pulled these numbers up right before the show, so these are within with the last couple hours, that in Michigan, Trump is ahead by 12,000 votes, which sounds like a lot, but then go into the third-party candidates, uh, Johnson, Stein, and a guy named Daryl Castle, any, any whom, any one of them whom, their votes could have turned the state. Combined, there are a total of 240,000 votes taken in, in Michigan. Pennsylvania, similarly, Trump ahead by 68,000. Johnson Stein combined for 191,000. Wisconsin, Trump is up by 27,000. Combined, Johnson Stein, 137,000. Worth noting, in New Hampshire, Clinton is only up by 1,400, but combined, Johnson Stein, 36,000. So you have this other protest vote, which unfortunately, much like the Clinton-Gore debacle in 2000, actually played a role. And you have no idea of knowing what that protest vote was intended to do other than just complain about the system. Congressman now. Yeah, I, 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 I want to know what's happened to the, to the, the lower middle class, the middle class since I was a kid. I lived in a neighborhood that uh, we were happy. My dad drove a truck. There was a fireman lived next door. Guy that sold tickets at the railroad station on the other side. Person worked at the mill, sawmill on the other side of the street. Uh, we had nice pleasant. And I was shocked when I took a sociology class in college and we were asked to find out what our, where we grew up. What, what was it? And I found out I was upper lower class. Upper lower class. Up, upper, upper lower class. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you still are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But my point is, these were not angry people. These were people who were perfectly happy wandering around. They worked in their church. They mowed their lawns. They raised their kids. They did all, all the stuff that uh, that you know. We, we think you normally do. Where did where did all this anger start? Well, it, it didn't start at the beginning of this election. No. Democrats oh. started calling them stupid, um, and I, and I and I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean it sincerely. Um, my party, the condescending liberal elite, is a thing, and instead of reaching out to working people. Of all of all shades and spectrums, um, Democrats we have a tendency, while we celebrate diversity, and this is a phrase I had used before, diversity of only the diverse. White Christian, white working class Christians, I have seen this firsthand, are not welcomed with open arms within the Democratic Party as much as other groups are celebrated. There, there is a contrast there, and I would argue it's alienated. But I mean, the one thing, the one thing that that we're starting to realize is there's a demographic out in the electorate that, and it's a term I've heard over the past ten to twelve months, and that is the lunch pail electorate. That is the 
lower middle income to moderate middle income, lunch pail, high hourly wage labor that are family that oriented Christian. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the lunch pail electorate. Bob, when we break down the states, like the, the blue wall that we all thought was going to go Hillary, you talk about the Rust Belt, Pennsylvania should have gone Hillary, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. When you look at your home state of Ohio, did we underestimate the lunch pail electorate in that state? And is there a silent majority that didn't exist in previous elections? Not the silent. Trump clearly won Ohio. <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't think there's any. You can't call it an organized structure, but I think there are a tremendous number of households in this country that are having a hard time all the time. Maybe they only have part-time work. Uh, maybe there's, there's no man in the house. There are all kinds of problems that they've got, and no one is, you know, they don't have a voice. And I think they're very, very unhappy about it. You can see it. I think no, they don't call, hold on, Congressman for now. I, I hear all of this, and I, I believe that, that there's a great deal of merit to uh, your comments about uh, the, the intellectual elite snobs in the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. But it's not just the Democratic Party. It's, it's the Republican Party, too, who it's, it's, is always against raising the minimum wage, which would help a lot of these people, who's always interested in how, if you're if you're going to do anything, you do it for business, and it will trickle down, and it never gets there. Bob Hines, so, so hold on, Bob Hines, hold on, hold on, Bob Hines. What's the matter? Well, I, I just, I suppose, oh yeah, go ahead. I just want to wind it up. So you've got the the Republicans on one side and the Democrats on the other, and they're no wonder they're pissed at both of us. <laughs> well, and then enter enter Trump, who's something we have Dan not, who, we have not seen before. I've been struggling to find a descriptor for it. It's the socially conservative-ish, but fiscally liberal, which I don't know if that quite works, but it's a phrase we haven't seen before. These people that, yeah, they want government to do stuff. By the way, they also want protectionism. Now you take it completely out of what's been in the Republican camp since before Eisenhower, as far as I know. But you now have this guy who's been talking about who has never been working class aside from the 15 minutes he said he was a carpenter uh, working in, working for his dad at one point. And I don't even no, believe no. that. But, <laughs> no, yeah, but that's the, that, that's the thing. He's at least using the language that they're comfortable with, which neither party has done fully. Bob Hines, and then I want to go to Alan Morgan. Bob Hines. I would be too surprised. Uh, it may not come immediately, but one of these not off days, we may find ourselves with some very charismatic, exciting individual who will marshal in a structured way this frustration of some of the lower income. I some people say that's Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think I don't, I don't know that it's Trump. It may be, but he just oh, did it. He just, yeah. He but, but defied the odds. He did. Yeah. But Alan Moore, the one thing that we're seeing is, and you mentioned it before, he was a Democrat before. He had very socially liberal aspects to him. He was very fiscally conservative as a businessman. Yet, are we seeing 
the advent of an unknown moderate sector in the Republican Party that would follow that suit. That is, look, stay out of my bedroom. Look, don't overgovern me, but I want government to participate in some of the things that may make my life better. But to Republicans who want to get into the bedroom. I, well, I, I guess the, I guess the <laughs> well, question is, is Donald Trump a moderate? I think in some of that stuff, you know, his whole history before he started running for office was yes, he was a he was a social moderate, um, and then he suddenly found that he was that 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 he was uh, uh, anti-pro-choice, so that that he was anti-choice, which was contrary to the, the the position he'd long had. This guy pivots, you know. We 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 talked about all the ugly things he said, but he rarely said some of the most outlandish things more than once when he when he mocked the disabled reporter he did that one time he he denied that he did it which of course was a lie but he didn't do it anymore after he after he talked about john mccain how he he preferred people who didn't get captured he later called mccain a hero now he said that it was fair game that that would be used again and again um with 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 Carly, Carly Fiorina, he said ugly stuff, and then he bailed on it. I mean, give the guy some credit for listening and doing some pivoting. Other things, he doubled down on. No, 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 no question. I wanted to say something about this 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 lower middle class, though, because the 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 the, the, the group with incomes, family incomes under fifty thousand, she won. He lost. The group we're talking about is the group between 50 and 100,000 that he won in new ways. These are these are not minimum wage workers. Are we, are these, we, are we talking about that across racial spectrum? Well, and and and, and there again, there there are racial aspects to this, no question. But but it it. it, it minimum wage is not the issue that they're looking at. They're looking at economic opportunity that they feel like has been taken away from them and their kids and are looking for a scapegoat and and Trump found it in immigrants and in trade deals which some of us believe are not the boogeyman here but if it works if people believe it then hey it's fair game in politics but, but, um, he, but here's the question let's we bring up trade for a second let's bring up trade for a second Donald Trump got a phone call last night from the president of China uh, congratulating him on his victory. But in his, in his call to Trump, it is being reported that the president of China said, I hope that we can maintain a stable relationship with each other, which to me sounds like don't start a trade war with us is that is that something significant that we have to look at, Dan Lipner? Uh Yeah, considering it's it's the first shot across the bow. I mean, the the Chinese have been playing global politics pretty well, including their building an island in the in the South, South China Sea. More, more than one. Yeah. Um, there it's. I I mean, so yeah. I mean, this is. That's a warning shot. I don't know how it'll be handled. The the, the geoglobal politics of this are not easy by any stretch of the imagination, and it just got a 
whole lot more complicated. When, when, we, hear, when we hear Donald Trump during the campaign, Alan Moore, we hear him talking about, you know, repealing TPP, repealing NAFTA, which is going to tick off our allies, Canada and Mexico. When we hear, you know, talking about dismantling other trade agreements, can America really afford withdrawing insular and starting a possible trade war with somebody like China no, or even Korea? What I, no, they can't. First of all, TPP is, 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 is still it, hanging out there. Right, so right, he, right. It's just that he wouldn't, he wouldn't embrace and ratify. Right. And it's not, it's not going anywhere at the moment anyway. Um, let's, but, but, but walking away from NAFTA, for example, um, a, a, an agreement that was, that was, that was finally uh, ratified in the 1990s. Um, Negotiated by George H. W. Bush, right. ratified by Clinton, right. um, and, and by by most measures, most objective measures, has has been a good thing for both countries. Right. Um, so, having but said can that, we, can we afford a trade war? Well, I don't think we can afford a trade war. I'm not convinced we're going to be in a trade war. This again, here's Donald Trump with this exaggerated language um, that feeds the, uh, the 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 fears and beliefs. Of, of Americans who are struggling economically, and they say, and then he he will he will have to do some things, and there may be some things he'll be able to convince a majority of the Congress to do. There may be a few things, not too many, that he could do unilaterally, um, and and there might be some minor renegotiation where he can at least claim some credit. The, the the former governor, the mayor of Philadelphia and governor of, of, of Philadelphia, Ed Rendell. Ed Rendell said something really interesting the other day, talking about Pennsylvania and the fears of people in in, in Pennsylvania. Some of this group that we're talking about, he said, you know, they 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 want to blame outside forces for the the poor economic prospects they have going forward, even though. About 90% of the job loss in Pennsylvania is a result of technological change and no more than 10% arguably as a result of trade, trade deals, which have many benefits right. at the same time. So there's, there's you know, people, one can argue about what the right balance is and proportion, but it's feeding this ignorance that politicians do, and Trump did in, in spades, and then of course he was anti-immigrant, and so the immigrants will take your job if they weren't already right. shipped to China. So as much as I am loath to do this, playing devil's advocate on behalf of Trump, <laughs> arguably, um, so going back and this puts me, so please, please feel free to correct my history on this. During the 80s, while people were having, the auto industry was having, shall we say, challenges with Japanese automobiles coming in, uh, the UAW would have events where they would take sledgehammers to Japanese cars saying these are taking American jobs. In response to that, some things happened. The, the auto markets in, in uh, Japan were opened up, even though they would never want to buy the gas guzzling American cars. But another little thing happened, arguably a, de- a defensive move from Japanese automakers, is they started opening up plants here, um, which is why, in the irony of ironies, the most American-made, union-made car you can get, and I think it's true for 15 years now, is the Toyota Camry. Um, and so, arguably, Trump's saber-rattling on this nonsense 
could be a negotiating position to try and move things along. Here's the funny thing about it is, Congressman Al, when we hear Donald Trump's rhetoric on trade, bringing everything back insular, it it actually plays into a non-Republican mantra, but actually a pro-labor union mantra. Are we starting to see the advent of where Republicans are actually starting to listen to what's happening in the Rust Belt, in middle America, and we can see a better relationship with labor unions, perhaps, like the UAW, like the Teamsters, like the Steelworkers? I don't know whether the unions will go far enough to satisfy the Republicans, <laughs> uh, because unions get greedy, too. And, uh, and, and the, uh, I think they're inclined to take the, the first initiative in which you give them something, and then they'll say, we'll put that in my pocket. Now, what else you got on the table that I can put in my pocket? Right. Uh, that's not going to happen bring the Republicans around. And I want to remind everybody, this is a special edition of Backroom Politics. Obviously, it's our post-election mm-hmm. recap, but we're going to go through the breaks here. We'll take a, t- a break at the top of the hour, but I'm just letting you know, if you're expecting the bottom of the hour break, not happening. We're going to go through. Carl Tubin, go ahead. Just a little interesting uh, fact that I heard on the radio coming down, that because of car sales, uh, GM has cut back on some of its Cadillac product and some of its Chevrolet product. And this is because the sales have gone down on those cars. So what what impact that has is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, Alan Moore. Yeah, just just a, a couple of additions on that, that auto industry history uh, with, with Japan. We had the auto shocks in the in the 70s uh, when when Carter was president, and and suddenly we had long lines for gas, and gas was was very expensive, and people suddenly thought, I need a cheaper car that's more efficient and affordable. The best ones were made overseas. The little the VW uh, uh, Beetle, which had been around for some time, and then all these little Japanese cars, and. They started flooding in. Well, lo and behold, they not only were, were less expensive, more fuel efficient, but they lasted longer. They were well made. They were well built. And that became really threatening to the U.S. industry. And before any of these guys, any of these Japanese companies or, uh, started manufacturing in America, and the Germans do too, we had a quota with Japan, a numerical quota worked out with Japan. So what did they do with their numerical quota? Built better, more expensive, bigger cars. Gas settled down, and all of a sudden, the Japanese are building really good, bigger cars, more directly competitive to the big American cars. And people were saying, this car's more fun, it's, it's quicker, and it's going to last longer than the American cars. So a lot of the American industry... Um, uh, Problems were, if you will, problems of their own ignorance, uh, their, 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 yeah. their own making. Let's, let's take this opportunity right now as we go into our second half hour. I want to talk a little bit and break down the states, particularly the blue wall. Uh, Bob Hines, more shocking. The fact that uh, Hillary lost Ohio the way she did, or the fact that New Hampshire was as close as it was. Is. Is. Still counting. I think Ohio was a bigger surprise for me. Why? 
because I didn't think she could do it. I think she didn't think it would happen. You think she'd lose Ohio? Yeah. 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 Alan Moore? No, oh, I always thought she. I, I always thought that 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 uh, that he was going to prevail in Ohio. Yeah. The surprise was in Pennsylvania, and in Wisconsin, and Michigan, where it's still unresolved. Michigan. Right. Yeah. Those were the big surprises. Those weren't on anybody's radar. That and at least. They were obviously on some people's, but not ours, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. And suddenly, he's going up there, and then they send the president up to Michigan. They were aware. The, 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 the Clinton people had their own data, and, and, and they, they became very nervous. I don't think any of them thought they would lose Pennsylvania at the end of the day. Yeah. It, 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 Dan Lipner, when you look at the Democratic states, the blue states that flipped, i.e. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, is that – because she had ground game. Are we starting to realize that in this modern day of politics, ground game doesn't matter? No, absolutely not. Ground game matters, especially for Democrats. the, but you know, the, Donald Trump had zero ground game. Well, and, and 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 I know this will be a point of dispute, having seen Democratic ground game versus Republican ground game. Not to say Republicans have no ground game, but it's nowhere near the kind of machines the Democrats have to do to actually do the push pull to get voters out. Yeah. There are phone banks and that kind of stuff, which which are hard to organize. It is nowhere near the bus transportation. Kind of stuff Democrats do, polls to polls and all. It's just, it's just not the same it's, level it's, of machine. Much, the Democrats have a much better system. Um, yeah, it, it, they really it, do. But it's by necessity, and that was the the Obama uh, wins in 08 and 12, and something I have maintained on this show for a long time. There was no persuasion in the game in either 08 or 12. It was all a base vote and expanding the base. Hillary, and I've been saying this after Obama was guaranteed not to be on the ticket ever again, that whatever Democrat that is not Barack Obama, that doesn't bring that special Barack Obama magic to the electorate is going to have a different problem with GOTV. That Pennsylvania has been close before, and it's always been the pipe dream for Republicans to win Pennsylvania. Resources frequently get thrown there and lost there. I was in Pennsylvania in 04. We won it, I believe, by either two and a half or three points. It was a close race. Um, And it was an enormous headache about what was going to happen there. Michigan is absolutely shocking. Nobody, as far as I know, I mean, Michigan, again, in 04, went a million dollars over budget and, and they won in a walk. You know, for this, what happened in Michigan, and not to mention Wisconsin, is far more surprising to me, considering they weren't really on the radar. And as I understand, Minnesota still has, or Minnesota's finally been called. Yeah, Minnesota's been called, but, called, but it was it's, still, it's still close. Carl Tubin. Well, now I go back to the point I made before. <clears throat> Every time they went to a state, and they had the state board on, and they had all these red dots and red things in blue and the blue was their cities and the red were the were the counties the thing that the democrats have not done is figure out how to get to the counties 
to get their ground game working there. The ground game only works in urban areas. But, but the, you bring up a valid point, though, Carl, and, and this is what's shocking to me. Congressman Al, I go to you. The, 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 when you look at the numbers, when you look at the Democratic strategies, I was talking to a friend of mine who was with the Clinton camp in Ohio. They had put a lot of effort into places like Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland, the county surrounding Columbus, Cincinnati, even out as far as Lorain County, which is a suburb of Cleveland. They put a lot of effort into that, but what shocked them the most was the gap that Hillary needed in those states to win those states, like in Ohio, were closer than anybody ever anticipated. Was this a matter of Hillary could not connect with the urban vote, or did Donald Trump do a much better job (laughs) with the urban voters like the black community? seems to me that we're, we're, we're caught on, we're, we're trying to answer these questions by, by an either or. <clears throat> Did the candidate screw it up or was the ground just not fertile for a candidate? It seems to me that Donald Trump was very, very good at finding the prejudices and the anxieties of people and and just beating the crap out of them. Uh, And I don't know that uh, perfecting the ground game was going to change that. But when you look at like... In fact, it didn't change it. But when you look at Alan Moore, when you look at like, let's take, for example, Philadelphia, you know, when you look at the precincts in Philadelphia, the gap, he garnered almost 30% in parts of Philadelphia, that should have been almost single digits, according to the Democrats. Where did they miss it? Well, you know, as as we see, there's all these little threads of 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 issues and items that that that, that contribute, and it's, it's hard. Working class white population it's, in Philly. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to 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 think we missed one thing or two things. But it, in 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 terms of the the Democrat get out the vote effort, it was superior to the the non-existent um, Republican get-out-the-vote effort. Some of the states had a, a get-out-the-vote uh, on behalf of, of Senate races, but and it probably meant 1% to 2% difference. It turned out the gap was bigger than that. So, so I don't think one can say, and this is, this is really to echo Dan's point, when he said you can't say those, that those don't matter, they matter. But they can't close a five-point gap they can, or a four-point gap. They can close... A one-point gap, and 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 the, it's just throughout the country, the 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 gap was wider than we knew. And one of the reasons for that, there were two things I found interesting. It that that exit polls showed that about 20% of the voters didn't like either one, did not like either candidate, but they went three to one for Trump. Because the thought was at least we'll try something new. But and that doesn't make it, sense. Well, it, yeah, I, mean, it, I don't it, care it, if it makes sense. I'm just saying that's what, that's what the polls are traditional. So, and, and this may be a bigger question is, did the Trump campaign and the Trump victory completely destroy political campaigning as we've known it today? No. Well, it depends on what we take away from it. 
For example, I think one of the things you take away from it is that demagoguery outdoes organization. Well, talk about demagoguery. I mean, this was in Trump was, you know, was buried in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and that seemed to work. And the compensation, one of the compensations the Democrats had was their ground game and all of that. And it wasn't enough to overcome his demagoguery. Carl Tubman. You know, uh, African-Americans used to vote for us no matter what before Obama. And and when Obama came in, he had the highest... uh, percentages in African-American votes. I think... And high turnout. And high turnout. And I think one of the one of the uh, mistakes that was made is uh, I think they thought that the president could come and whip up that vote and get them out there and, and get them voting, which unfortunately didn't happen. The well, other then. thing is you've got Latinos and, and uh, Hispanics. And when when I heard uh, what the Latino vote that, that there were big registrations in Cuban Latinos and and Hispanics and all, I thought, wow, that that corridor is going to be ours. No, and no, and actually, yeah. the, the really remarkable thing about this is that Trump, by many estimates, won at least thirty percent of the Latino vote, which that, is shocking. That's what he's which undoes another data point that the Latino slash Hispanic vote, which they're technically different, but we'll merge right. for the sake of this, right. um, went up by a third for this election. And that third was represented by first-time voters. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Trump made headway in that block based on, Lord only knows on what he's been saying out loud, but... There's all sorts of things going on there, but add into that, but the Hillary and what she's been dealing with, the the wonderful joy of being in public life for 30 years means you've been on the record for 30 years, and the and the 1996 crime bill, which uh, Bill Clinton signed, and she was has a unfortunate quote that she said the very super predators, um, and I remember it. I was a kid who. I grew up in the city of Miami. It was freaking scary, and people wanted people to be tough on crime. And by the way, that included the Congressional Black Caucus, because I looked up the numbers, also voted for the crime bill. But that's okay. Fast forward to putting history, history in a present tense term. Suddenly, African-American millennials are looking at that same language in a different context. And there's a danger in that, and she clearly suffered from it, and arguably that's where some of these third-party votes Alan Moore. Yeah, on, regarding Hispanics, we, we've talked about this uh, numerous times in the past where, where uh, some of us have suggested it's a mistake to think that they all think alike, that it's a monolithic voting base. And there were some polls just in the last two weeks of Hispanics, a majority of whom felt that we should – deport illegals when they arrive and shouldn't let them in and should deport them and uh, and that we should reduce the number of legal immigrants that we allow into this country. These are like a 52% majority of Hispanics. So 
to me when I when you when you realize that that the, that these folks also um, <laughs> have lives, livelihoods, localized situations, jobs, personal economic concerns that they're going to vote their pocket right. as well. Let me go to Congressman Al. Yeah, something was said here just a minute ago that gave me a thought. The blacks voted in huge numbers for Obama. They didn't do it for Hillary. I'm wondering if having successfully elect, helped elect in a major way a black president, if they didn't feel like they've arrived. And now, like like white voters and yellow voters and all other kinds of voters, they can they can vote in a broader basis than just having to oh, vote I for think, a black I, I, no, I, I think it's worse than that in a different direction. Though. Apathy? The, no, not apathy. No. We got our first African-American president, and racial animosity is worse now in many, no. in many people's views. So that can do a whole lot to camp and enthusiasm. Well, yeah. Carl Tubin? Yeah. <clears throat> One thing we have to remember is that, <clears throat> is that he manages to throw out these lines like uh, for African Americans he was saying to them look what you have now your children walk down the street and they're shot why not take a chance on me and somehow or other some of that resonated among among that group and I think it's the same thing with but some of the other groups. Put yeah, right. Alan, Alan, Alan Moore, Moore than Bob Lyons. Yeah, I think Alan Moore. Yeah, I think I think that 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 the the African American vote was off some, not a lot, in terms of totals, and it was overwhelmingly supportive of Hillary Clinton. She was getting not the ninety six, ninety seven percent of Obama, but ninety percent, so ninety two percent. She got that vote, but there was another aspect to. All the conversation about getting out the black vote. We need to keep the Democratic coalition together. We need to keep the Obama coalition together. We're and and and, and we're gonna we're gonna trash the things that Donald Trump says relating to race. We're 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 gonna discredit him saying, "Come on, give us a try." We're gonna watch Barack Obama go into the black community and say, "If you care about my legacy, for God's sakes, go vote." I think people, the, the, the black community, did a pretty good job in that regard. But there's a backlash when you do that. There are unintended consequences. Other people hear it White too. people hear it as well. Right. And they say, wait a minute. The, 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 the Democrats are talking about African Americans and Hispanics, some ideas we do not believe in. What about us put upon whites? We're going to go show them. I think that, that it, that's really hard to measure. People but, don't oh, want to. Oh, oh, no, I, I, I agree with Alan except for the last point. The idea that we don't agree with, I'm not certain is true, but if you're not talking to those folks at all and treating them as though they are the enemy, that creates part but, of that. Well, let me ask you a question. You know, when we see the numbers of black votes, which there was an uptick. We see the number of Latino votes or Hispanic votes, there was an uptick. Even Asian votes stayed level. We had heard at one time that the media was reporting that there was a voter suppression 
uh, effort being put on by the Republicans in, in the Trump camp. Was Is there some sort of voter suppression maneuver that the Republicans did effectively to keep the black vote either going to Hillary or out of the voting booths? Well, that's I don't think there, I don't think there was in the campaign. I think the Republicans have been kind of consistently doing things uh, that will suppress minority voting. Uh, they do it over time. They do it often locally. Yeah, uh, but but here's the funny thing about no, it. No, 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 Trump, North Carolina, the Voting Rights Act, the rules literally that something which came into play within a week of the Voting Rights Act being struck down, or part of the Voting Rights Act being struck down by the Supreme Court, everything from polling places being moved, signs that were technically previously pre-cleared by the Department of Justice no longer being required, there is evidence of that, whether or not it's enough way a state that is unclear, but, but there is absolutely... Here's, here's a fascinating fact before we get to that, though. Donald Trump won in, in one handling in states that had voter ID laws. That, to me, says, okay, maybe there's some some truth to this. Well, he didn't, he, didn't win, he didn't win in Virginia, and you got to show a picture ID to vote in Virginia. I True. mean, it's it, 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 a lot of these, a lot of, a lot of states for a long time have required some, you know, some form uh, of identification. I think that the that the main voter suppression activity of the Trump campaign was to discourage people verbally. By when he talks to the African Americans, who said. How is it? How? Why are you letting the Democrats take you for granted? How is it that your life is so fabulous? Now he grossly overstated how 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 bad it is for African Americans, and some of them were offended. But a lot of others, I think, are thinking, you know, he's got a point. Why have I? Why do I keep giving my vote to these people? Right. I'm not going to bother. We're going to break. We're going to. And that's the, that's a different kind of yeah. suppression. It's discouraging verbally. All right, well, we're going to go to break here. When we come back, joining us will be uh, former D.C. Republican Chairman Ron Phillips and Vice Chair, you want two minutes, oh, the proprietor of our fine host, this establishment, Bob Matarazzi, would like two minutes. We'll give you two minutes at the bottom of the hour, Bob. Uh, We'll give you four. But joining us also will be the Vice Chairman of the Republican Party of California, Kevin Crick. That will be more if they'll pay for the drink. I'll give him a half hour for that. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, special post-election edition. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the -the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, 
and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be. Here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., for a special post election edition of the best political talk show you've never heard of live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, in case you're just joining us, we are talking about the election results. Uh, there is now President elect Trump, who has beaten Hillary Clinton 290 electoral votes to 228 electoral votes, and we're going to continue our discussion. However, joining us here at the table is the proprietor of this fine establishment that we have called home for the past six years. He is Bob Matarazzi, owner of Shelly's Back Room. Bob! Bob wanted a couple of seconds. Yeah, hey guys. Uh, Look, I just wanted to make two points. Uh, One of them uh, is kind of anecdotal, and I thought it was humorous. And it might explain the uh, 
the polling phenomena that we had. I talked to my son this morning. He works up in New York. And, you know, I said, well, who'd you vote for? And he said, well, Dad, I voted for Trump, but I was embarrassed to tell anybody. So I think, I think you had that phenomena in as far as the polls went. A lot of people probably didn't want to admit, all right, that they liked Trump. But yet when they got into the voting booth, uh, a lot of people voted for him. Right. And I thought that microcosm, that anecdote uh, of, of a microcosm, might, might give some insight into how the polls could have been so absolutely wrong. Yeah, and, I, and, and that actually brings up a good point. I want to actually transition to that. And then what was your second point, Bob? Well, the second point is, uh, and, and I don't pretend to have the knowledge this the stoop panel here has uh, <laughs> politically, but uh, the one thing that was satisfying for me, I mean, I, I wasn't a big Trump fan, and, and the things I didn't like were the same things that all of you probably didn't like about him. Uh, I was rather satisfied with last night. Obviously, I'm on the red team. Yeah. And it was satisfying to see that we got the Senate, okay? Uh, but, but the one thing that I took satisfaction in <clears throat> is that the media, and when I say the media, the, the major newspapers have absolutely skewered Trump, you know, right. since this whole process started. I mean, every single headline, every and I can understand the editorials, but every single headline has skewered him. And it was kind of satisfying to see that the media doesn't control the voting public. Right. And I always thought they did. All yeah. Right? But evidently yeah. they don't because you saw what happened. So those are the only two points I want to make. No, those are yeah. great points, and that's a great transition to bring in our next guest. Uh, joining us out from the Bay Area of California, he is the vice chairman of the Republican Party of the great state of California. He is Kevin Crick. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Justin. I'm actually just the vice chair for the Bay Area, so I get the uh, the, the bluest part of the state. <laughs> Which makes, it makes you have the hardest job in Republican politics. Also joining oh, us, he is, he is the former uh, chairman of the Republican Party of the District of Columbia. He is Ron Phillips. Ron, thank you for joining us. Justin, thank you for having me. Uh, okay, let's let start off by interviewing uh, both of you. Uh, let's start with Kevin. Kevin, there was a huge Republican wave that nobody predicted on this. Is this something that, particularly in the Republican Party of California, which has got to be hard to really track the success out there, is this wave of Republican votes that we've seen that, uh, that dynamic? What, what didn't we catch? Well, I think... Um yeah, what, what we didn't catch was uh, exactly what we just heard a moment ago, which is, uh, you know, you had the, the quiet Trump voter. You've got had plenty of uh, Trump voters who are very outspoken, and, you know, we saw them in action. Um, but there were a whole host of people that um, never breathed a word, or if they were even asked in a poll, um, they would say, you know, they're voting for someone else. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Once you go in that voting booth and you flip that switch or press that button for uh, – for the candidate of your choice, it just goes to show you that, you know, polling does have its issues. And I think, you know, going forward, we're probably going to see a lot more of that. You're going to need a different system in order to be able to gauge who you expect to, uh, to be winning in a particular election. Ron Phillips, you know, we, one of the criticisms of the Trump campaign was that the Trump campaign had no ground game. They had pulled out of Virginia at a point. Now we see the numbers. He could have actually won Virginia 
had there been a ground game. What made Trump successful without the ground game itself? Well, I, I don't necessarily agree. When you talk about a ground game, you're almost talking about a 1980s political philosophy. I mean, the American, the American political electorate has dramatically changed from what I would call an old playbook. Congressman now would remember this. But we would do politics back in the 80s, early 90s, have a ground game, door to door, knock on the door, communicate, and all like that. We have now got voter communication and penetration from the Internet, television, mass media, almost down to the science of what you're dealing with, with computers and in and, and, and most homes throughout, throughout the voting population of America. The ground game, I just don't buy into. I mean, we kept hearing about, oh, the ground game, the ground game, the ground game with Clinton. It showed that an air war could work just as well as a ground game in modern politics. And I think that the entire – I think what you're going to see now – which is going to be very interesting to all of us who are in the business, is very defined scholastic review of what actually occurred with the vote of Donald Trump and the communication skill. How was that communicated to the voter? How did that inspire the voter? How did that get the voter out? I just, I, I just reject the notion that, that quote-unquote, the ground game no longer applies today in year 2016. And by the way, I just want to jump in real quick. Uh, AP right now is reporting that Kelly Ayotte has conceded the Senate seat in New Hampshire. That's a little bit of a hit for the Republicans. That was one they were hoping, particularly with Kelly Ayotte, to keep. Kevin Crick, by by the way, also in contrast to the wave, while picking up the presidency, losing seats in both the House and the Senate. So, Wave might be overstating it a little bit. Uh, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. Hey, Kevin, Justin, to jump back there on that on the ground game piece uh, just quickly, you know, yeah, I'm in complete agreement. The, the ground game as defined from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it's completely different now. And you could see that um, just uh, if, you, if you scroll back, and I'm not sure how your, your uh, makeup or demographics of your friends on Facebook are, but take a look. Um, I'm about half and half. I live in Marin, so obviously I'm going to have a lot of friends who are not, part, are not Republican. But if I go back and I take a look at um, those friends of mine are Republican and those friends of mine are Democrat or identified Democrat, um, they, uh, the, the ground game was happening, but not in like, you know, this way that it has to be so rigid and organized. I looked and I saw, you know, every one of my very active Republican friends out there, uh, precinct walking, they're phone banking, I mean, they're doing all sorts of volunteer efforts. And the response on the left side was to, you know, there were a couple people that did phone banking. I won't take away from that. But the, the overall response was pretty much how many articles can we flood the Internet with that say how wonderful Hillary is and how deplorable uh, Trump is. And I think that is one of the reasons that, that sank them. Their ground game was trying to make Trump out to be, you know, an awful person, but on top of that, to drag down and through association claim, you know, make a straw man and say that, you know, Trump is, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then pound at that, even though there's no basis for it. But to take it one step further and to say to every, every supporter of Trump, um, that you are guilty by association, you're a racist, you know, you're a misogynist, you know, go down the list. And I think that really backfired on them because, you, you know, people are tired of being told that they're just some awful person when all they want to do is make America great again. Ron Phillips, is, is, is that the attraction that really caught the lunch pail 
electorate like we saw in the Rust Belt in the Midwest in places like Iowa, Kansas, uh, Nebraska. Yeah, I, I, I believe that there, this, this, this entire election cycle was a different cycle. I, I believe that the voter was the – what you saw was reaction of a voter that was being talked down to. And I think that the liberal elite, I think that the mainstream media with its, you know, caught red-handed in collusion with the Democratic National Committee and becoming more, I mean, journalism is, as we know it now, if there's one thing the 2016 election has taught us, journalism is dead. There is no Bob uh, Woodward and Bernstein. It's done. It's, it's now, it's now, we have, we have watched the progression of political opinion bleed out of out of cable into now our, our normal news. When you look at it now, there's no objective. It's now political operation, and it's a shame. We've lost we've lost a valuable resource in America, which was an independent media that doesn't exist today. Kevin Crick, are you getting that same sense out there in California from your membership? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that yeah. I mean we, we face that every day, and I think you know probably the swell started out here in California, where you went away from having a you know an unbiased media, you know a true journalist whose job it is is to you know uh, just promote the facts and to show you know w- uncover what is out there, as opposed to let's take this and put a spin on it to try and angle it for you know some other means. And I saw it last night, even you know, in the headlines where when Trump was ahead, they the headlines were something along the lines of, um, you know, Trump surges against a strong Hillary campaign. Um, it, you know, why not just say that you know Trump is a, at this point like you know 100 electoral college votes ahead? <laughs> uh, Emmy award-winning journalist Al Swift, you had a comment you wanted to make. Well, I've been wanting to make it for several minutes now. Uh, it, it seems to me what we're saying is that demagoguery trumps technique. All right. Now, unless you can apply new techniques, which he did, which was the, you know, all, all the little, what, what do they call those things? Emojis. No, no, no. <laughs> Tweets. 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 He, he, he would get an enormous amount of of publicity out of tweeting somebody. Right. And, and and that's a whole different technique than the old-fashioned techniques that you were talking Dan about. Dan Lipner, you want to comment? Yeah. So as far as the press doing its job or trying to do its job, there is, there is a worthy argument there. But let's just pay attention to now. We are post-election. We are now have a president-elect. And there is a plethora of questions now many of which, if not all of which, have been asked prior to the election, and the press is stumped on how to answer these questions. How is the wall going to be built? How is NAFTA going to be pulled out of? How are we going to handle the TPP? Exactly what is going to happen for the, the, the handling ISIS? Exactly what is this mean? Right. I mean, there, these are some serious okay. questions, all of which actually have been asked, there actually was a candidate, and I'm going to include Bernie Sanders in the mix here. All of the candidates that were in the play, in the running late in the game, only one of them tried to propose serious answers to these questions. Well, let me. The press not right. getting, getting that on. message out versus Danny, you're getting excited. Danny, you're getting excited. Calm it's down. It's an amazing thing. No, no, calm down. Calm down. Let's, calm let's, down. 
Let we let, 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 let go to Ron Eduardo words from from the the uh, Republican debates was breathe. Okay. Yeah, breathe, breathe a little bit. There we go. Ron Phillips, let me go to <laughs> yeah. you on this. Uh, you you've been a a Trump supporter uh, fairly uh, long in this process. The the question of his use of demagoguery. There is no question that there is a a a valid argument that what he used was demagoguery that helped either inflame some of the divide that's happening here or it contributed to his rhetoric. Either way, does Donald Trump now have a way forward to help mend those wounds that some have accused him of? Well, I think in all political campaigns, people have hard feelings. I remember Bob Dole being mad at George Bush. Stop lying about my record. You know, I mean, you're going to have that in any political System. Yeah, but it was, never, think, it was never to the point that the demagoguery raised this. This was a whole oh, new level. Well, this whole new level on several. Of, this election is going to take the textbook on, on all kinds of, of levels. But I think the big thing is that Donald Trump, Donald Trump is now put in a position to unite America. You have to lead, and to have to lead, you got to have results. So now there's even a greater burden on Donald Trump that's ever been before. Now it's all about results. But, he, but, but this is a candidate that has yeah. never really put out any sort of true specifics that answer the question that Dan got overly excited oh, about. Come on. This is ridiculous. I mean, the thing is, I agree. First, I'll give you two things. One, I dismiss the notion that you're supposed to present your 90-page paper on how we're going to solve the problem with ISIS and lay it out before the media in a 12-month campaign. How about a one-page that's, paper? That's, 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 that's not to mention the fact that you don't want to jump your secrets out. You know, any secrets out there. The standard, the standard that liberals try to place out there is totally ridiculous. The second point is the fact that Donald Trump's not a politician. He's not a politician. That is why he won. That is why he had the appeal. This guy is not the 90-page paper person. This is the person that, that people wanted to na- navigate towards for leadership. Kevin Crick, you. Hold on, hold on. Stop. Stop. Yeah, stop. Yeah, stop. Yeah, Justin, what you got? Go ahead. You had a comment about that? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, and add on to it, you know, uh, where you know, he's not a politician. And, you know, we saw going through this election cycle, you know, people gravitated toward him, and it was inconceivable to uh, to the media, to the pollsters, uh you know, to the to, well, to the, uh, the other candidates and Secretary Clinton, because you know, if you you take a look at it, I see it in Marin all the time, and I think you know, if, what, looking at the the thread from last night as the election results were coming in, and a lot of uh, you know, my friends there were you know, crushed, devastated, you know, very upset about the election. One of them made a made a point, and I think it really resonates with the with what what occurred, and that is that she said, well, maybe we do live in a bubble. And it's true. If you're in Marin County or in one of the you know, blue urban areas on the coast, um, you know, when the recession happened, you weren't as heavily affected because your one factory in your, in your town that supported the whole town didn't go under. When uh, aid was provided, it went straight to the, those cities and to those coastal areas. It didn't go to those little towns. I and mean, these are people that, um, you know, they, they don't understand why folks gradu- gravitate toward Donald Trump because of the fact, you know, they've never had to deal with um, not being able to get a job. They've never had to deal with getting laid off from a job. They've never had to deal with, like, 
like even where I went to high school, you know, I went to a school where we had to dodge um, rain coming through the roof every time it rained. Buckets were running in the hallways. We even got out of school one day because the wall fell off outside and the radiator exploded. So <laughs> it's, it's you know, a bubble that they live in that they're in, insulated from just what the rest of the, the United States sees. And, you know, granted, I mean, we're not, you know, a country that's in, you know, absolute poverty in between, the, you know, the Pacific, the Pacific and the Atlantic. But, you know, there is a, there's a fact that that American dream that, you know, everyone was promised, they're feeling like they're not seeing it. And the, it was incon- inconceivable to those on the coast that, you know, how could they, you vote for somebody because he's talking about these, you know, these, this demagoguery, these buzzwords that, you know, just pop out there and not a plan, but, you know, just a feeling, that momentum, you know, we're going to accomplish something. And that's what it is. It's just tired of being left in the dust and not, uh, and being looked down upon. Alan Moore, you want to thought. Yeah, a couple of things. One, on the subject of demagoguery, I, I, it, it's hard to remember uh, uh, a candidate who, <laughs> who used more demagogue, uh, demagoguery than, than, than Donald Trump on the one hand, but let's acknowledge that the Democrats use their own demagoguery and that if you were Trump, you probably studied at the knee of one Harry Reid, who has been one of the biggest demagogues that, that this country has seen in years. So it's, there's I was a, wondering there's, how you were going to get your there, dig in at Harry there's Reid. A lot, there's a lot of it, but, but it's, it's not unique, even if it went to new heights. With, with, with regard to the press, um, the press is changing. There are more outlets, uh, social media matters. I think it's nonsense, though, to say that there is no longer any uh, objective press. There is. People are out there. They struggle with it. They're, they're in a, especially for the daily newspapers, the economic model has changed dramatically. They have fewer people that they assign, but they struggle with it. As do the do the do the networks and 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 cable news. So it's changing, but it's not right. gone. And then on policy, here again, Donald Trump had fewer policy proposals and ideas that were in any way coherent than any national candidate we've ever seen. Yes, it's true. He's not a politician. He hasn't thought a lot about this. He didn't show a lot of curiosity in learning about it. Everything changed, though, last night and today. Now he no longer has to run. Now he has to figure out how to govern, and we're going to learn a lot more about this guy. And, you know, I, I'm, I want to do what Hillary Clinton said we need to do, right. which is let's yeah. give him a chance. Give him a chance. Kevin Crick. Yep, you know, ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah, Kevin, one of the things that, that now has to occur is there is – Donald Trump's nomination created a huge divide and a lot of tension inside the party. How does how does President-elect Trump plan to heal those wounds and unify the party again at the time that they own the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives? Well, I think, you know, it, it, you're – there's going to have to be a, a bridging of the divide from both sides. So, you know, granted, um, you know, Trump uh, was very much ran separate from the, uh, the GOP establishment. There are those in the GOP establishment that supported him, those that <clears throat> refused to back him, refused to even, you know, speak whenever he was uh, at, a, at a function. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that Trump hit on a winning strategy 
to recapture the White House, and not only recapture the White House, but his coattail effect was the opposite of what everyone predicted. I mean, we kept the House, we kept the Senate, you know, it gives the, gives the opportunity to mold the Supreme Court, possibly up to four justices during, during his time. And, you know, that realization is what needs to come down. And I think that him reaching out last night, bringing rights up to the, up to the podium, I mean, I, I've never seen that before in any, you know, elect, uh, uh, election night um, victory speech where the candidate actually yields the time to somebody else who grabs them off the side and says, come on up, come on up, you know, say a few words, you know, just out of the blue. And I think that was the first step. He acknowledged to Reince, said, you know, um, I needed you. Reince acknowledged to, to him that, you know, the party needs you. And that, I think, is the first step to bridging that divide. But, Ron Phillips, the big major one, I think, that needs to be healed and brought together is the relationship between now President-elect Trump and the current Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Is, is that relationship, is that bridge burned or can that be healed? No, I, I want to pick up on that. I think that was I think that was the first sign, a very tactical and very open way of showing of bringing the party together. You bring the chairman of the Republican National Committee to the top. You dismiss the comments that we were fighting, we weren't fighting. Trump said, "This guy's great. I love him. Come up here." He didn't invite Giuliani up. He didn't invite anybody. I didn't invite Christie up. He invited Reince Priebus up to the microphone. So that was a big signal to the party establishment, look, we're all going to be in this and work with this together. With, with Ryan, you are now got Trump's won. There's no reason to carry on an internal political war. You've won. So he is now going to approach it from the standpoint of, all right, you're a policy guy. You've got direct ideas of how we need to do things with governance. You're going to try to have that bridge. You're going to bridge that. Look, the point where Ryan was at, when Ryan said he was doing all this because he wanted to save the party. He felt that Trump was destroying the party. He wanted to save the party. Trump wins. It's now Trump's turn to come back and say, we can work together and build a bigger party. And that is going to be the, the big thing that's going to be, we're going to look back on 2016. If Trump is successful in his four years of office, he can completely dynamically realign the entire American electric system of bringing blue-collar workers into the Republican Party and showing them that they have a home if his policies enact and make America great again. Kevin, Chris, is, is that something that, is that a sentiment on the West Coast where you have a lot of affluent Republicans in Orange County down in San Diego? Is, is that realistic? I definitely think it's realistic. I mean, you know, I thought in California there were, you know, those that backed Trump. There were those that were rather vocal in, in not backing him, even when he was the uh, the nominee. But the, the fact of the matter is, is you know, exactly what, what we just heard. Um, you know, he did it. He won. So the what what I would say is, if I were sitting on the other side of the the, the house and in, in the uh, the DNC, I would be very, very, very afraid right now because. You just had a guy who upended the traditional idea of what a Republican voter is versus what a Democratic voter is. And if, there's, if the RNC and the Trump uh, uh, administration are, are, you know, work together, I think you'll see a remolding of what makes a Republican, and for the better, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Trump comes to, to office with a lot of moderate uh, social policies, which is something that I feel very strongly about that our party needed to, uh, to shift over toward. But at the same time, 
he has Pence, who is, you know, a very uh, conservative, uh, you know, on his social views, which, you know, it shows that you can bridge the divide. You know, I forget, you know, what the old adage was there, but, um, you know, what uh, Reagan said, something along the line, you know, it's like, you know, why argue with someone who's 90, who's 90% my friend? I mean, we're, we're all Republicans. We have common goals that we want to achieve together. So let's unify on those and be able to accept either, you know, what other views that are out there to, Form, uh, to form a party that's bigger, better, and has a much brighter future. Congressman Al, I just keep, we haven't talked about the House of Representatives. The House has been at each other's throats. The House of Republicans have been at each other's throats. Uh, the, the Speaker is strongly disliked by the ultra-right right. in the Congress. And I'm, I'm wondering... Uh, what these two Republicans think is going to uh, help bring that together, so that the so that the House theory right. postulate that I think one of the things that gave people the idea that these politicians weren't getting anything done was the House wasn't getting anything done. Ron and, Phil- and, and, and they've got to solve that problem. Ron Phillips, I'll put that question to you. Winning makes happiness. We won. We won the presidency. Everybody's happy. Let's right. go have a drink together. I think from the standpoint, I think from the standpoint, I think you may have had too much already. <laughs> no, I'm just coming down. But, but I think, but the big thing is, I think to to, to what Congressman Al's point is, I honestly believe now that you control all the mechanisms of the government. You have the Senate. You have the House. You have the now the executive. You now have the ability, everybody knows the score. You're either going to be successful or you're not successful. You now have put a governance a little bit on the far right within the, in the House of Representatives because now it's a chance to succeed. You don't fight your own party. Now it's time to actually push forward policies that work. And, and it's, I think it's going to create a, an interesting dynamic where we're going to see more unity. Kevin Crick is We've heard that part of the logjam in the Republican Party, and one would argue cost Speaker Boehner his job, was the fracture within the party in the House between the Tea Party Republicans and the traditional Republicans. Does the Trump win knock the Tea Party Republicans out and just coalesce a Republican unit in the House? Uh, yeah, I think so, because I think if you look at um, what uh, Senator Cruz ran on, he ran on that, uh, you know, that the Tea Party angle there, and you know, he was repudiated for it because of the fact that he didn't play well with others within, within the Senate. And you know, the same could be said for within the House and those members that, uh, that uh, lean in that direction. You know, granted, Trump, I mean, he played his own game no matter what. I mean, wherever he went, played well with some, played, didn't play well with others, you know. Yeah, that was the uh, the trick, trying you know, trying to figure out which direction he was going to go. But when you look at the Tea Party side, I, you know, I don't see much of a future for it, to be quite honest with you. I mean, they have, they when they initially started, the concept was sound. It was, you know, let's make ourselves fiscally responsible, sure. But then they rolled into all sorts of other social issues and whatnot, and then they got into this whole deal where, well, let's just shut down the federal government. You know, okay, when Newt did it back, you know, in the in the 90s. Yeah, that's that's one thing. It's, you know, you make a stand on a very uh, specific 
very focused reasons and have a case to build behind it. But you don't shut the federal government down every 15 minutes because you want, like, you know, there was a rounding error and you want that nickel back. I mean, it's just yeah, ridiculous. So right. I, I think that, um, you know, they're, they're going to be out on the margins there. And to be honest with you, if they don't play well, they're going to be getting it from all sides now because, you know, there's, there's no room, there's nowhere to go. You can't blame it on Obama any longer. Kevin, can you stick around for the last half hour? Uh, sure, I, I think I could. All right, well, we're going to open it back up to the roundtable real quick. Obviously, special edition of Backroom Politics, our post-election recap, because I got about five people that want to open this up for panel discussion again. Bob Hines, start with you. The Republicans have a marvelous opportunity. It, uh, we have both the House and the Senate. They have the White House next, uh, next January. It seems to me that we ought to put behind us all our internal discussions we don't like about things and try to find, as we start in the new year, some, some really good ideas that we can, we can bring forward on different policy areas and try to, in a way that is not... A situ- in, a situ- in a way that show- that says, look, we own the, we own the Congress and, and, the, and the White House, so we're going to do it our way because that will just cause disruption. Right. I think the best thing to do is we are pick, pick the policies we want, we want to go to, the, the problems you want to solve, find a good, reasonable, sensible way to do it, go to our Democratic fellows and say, look, I know, you know this may not be exactly what you want. We can t- we can Move it a little bit here or there, there. It would help with you, but we want to move forward. Let's right. get some things done. Alan Moore. Very so important way to do it. I predict that Donald Trump, coming back to Al's yeah. question before about what, what about Paul Ryan, I predict that Donald Trump will embrace Ryan and that he will encourage all House Republicans to support Ryan as the leader. I think that's, I mean, it's not assured that will happen. It would be the smart thing for him to do. I yep. predict that will happen, and I and I and I think he will wrap wrap up uh, 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 McConnell the same way in the Senate. Now the 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 Democrats are in disarray. You know, we were talking so long about this massive divide among Republicans. The Democrats are a disastrous mess. Having said that, in the Senate, remember it takes sixty votes to get important things done you are bipartisanship is required and as as bob said you got to reach over to the democrats it's nice if you do it in the house it's necessary to do it in the senate and uh they're going to have a working majority a little smaller than they had before probably have 52 um and and they will 52 or 53 with one Louis, because they're going to get Louisiana, I think. Right. And and uh, so I believe that that Donald Trump is going to learn how the Senate works. He's going to learn about the 60 vote thing, which my hunch is he doesn't know a lot about yet, but he'll learn. And uh, so I like to be more optimistic about this uh, and about about Donald Trump's learning curve now that he's president. Everything he thinks about every day is new and different. Right. Dan Lipner, and that, that is a reasonable point in a 
in the world of crossing my fingers and hoping this is right. Uh, but let's throw, let's throw some obvious issues that are out there that we just know about. The debt ceiling will be coming up yet again at some point in time. Yep. Shutting down the government, that was one of the chief issues back when. And the bomb throwers in the House haven't gone away, and no, nor have they gone away in the Senate. And this is just on the Republican side. In addition to that, the repeal and replace of Obamacare, many times the repeal has been put, put on the docket and passed through the House. McConnell has now said in the first 100 days it's going to come up pretty early in the, in the repeal side of Obamacare. The replace part has been kind of a little vague on detail. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. But, again, the, the, the repeal and replace, there has been a glaring lack of detail there. Enter into the foreign policy realm, again, the – the ISIS being an issue, and actually many voters that exit polls said that the, the war is not going well there in spite of evidence on the field at the moment. But that's okay. But again, we now need details on the ground in a House nor Senate that has taken a vote authorizing the use of force against ISIS, working under an initial use of force against, the, the, against Saddam Hussein for the second war in Iraq. But those are just the easy things off the top of my head, none of which have been shown to have any movement on the Republican side prior to now. How does the current governing leadership, now with the president-elect, how, how do they move forward on any one of those items with any kind of detail? Kevin Crick, I'll let you take that answer. Well, yeah, I think the you're, there's also a couple other ones I would toss in there too. Is um, you know infrastructure. I mean, we heard that last night. You know, we're going to be building, rebuilding uh, roads, uh, building our infrastructure, putting people to work. Um, yeah. So how do we do all that? That's you know, exactly right. And I think um, you know, you're going to you're going to see uh, a little different. A little, probably even much different, to be quite honest with you. Interaction between the uh, the administration and uh, and the legislative branch, because of the fact that you've got for the first time a a president-elect who comes into office with no uh, no prior experience in having to navigate through you know the protocols of you know how how you interact. You know where do you put your influence out there? You know. Who do you defer to? What's the process? Oh no! And you know, you always hear, you know, the, oh no, we can't do it that way. We have to do this, you know. Um, and he, he's going to have none of that. So it's going to be a completely different manner of trying to uh, to move something forward, which is in fact I think why he was elected. People want to see uh, the gridlock broken, but it's going to take a, a group effort because you know obviously Trump's going to have his agenda. He's going to say this is what I want to get done. Um, you're you're your experts are already there. You've got you know, people in, like, say, for example, the, the House uh, Transportation Infrastructure Committee who you know, understand the whole inner workings of you know, funding and how, this, uh, um, you know, how these projects are designed and what needs to get done and what's a priority, you know, what bridges you know, are right on the edge there. We, you know, we put funding toward you know, board cargo projects, you know, all these types of things. And uh, there, there's going to be a back and forth there. Trump's going to have his people who says this is what – we want out of this, and then you're going to have the, the Washington Insider folks who are on the Hill who say, okay, this is how we can make it happen. And we may, well, hopefully we see a much different product than what we've seen, you know, for the past eight years and even beyond where, you know, we're getting something that not only is um, fresh and new, but dynamic and something that um, goes into effect much quicker than we're used to seeing with the federal government. 
Kevin, that's a great idea. Let's build more infrastructure at the ports when we start a trade war with China. We're not putting in anything or bringing in anything. Good call. Congressman Al. <laughs> Mentioning that among the judges in the Senate will be Harry Reid will be gone. I, I, I want to hear a yes. <laughs> I just wanted to make Alan feel really good. Oh, good. All hell Chuck, Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer. Replaced by Chuck Schumer. By Chuck Schumer. Very different kind of politician. Right. The most yes. dangerous place in Washington, D.C., between Chuck Schumer and a camera. And, and I, I think there's a distance between him and bad ideas, too. Uh, I mean, there are at least bad techniques. Right. Well, Chuck Schumer yeah. likes to do deals. He does. Exactly. He's a tough, hard politician. He will, he, will, he will be very critical on the one hand, and on the other hand, he'll say, what can we get done? You're, right. Harry Reid, once upon a time, could do that, and then he just lost it. But, but you're, you're, but, you're, you just articulated my point very well. He's a whole different animal, and it's going to change the way the Senate me, works. We'll find out whether it's for good or ill. Okay, go ahead real quick. Well, real quick, um, Alan said that the Democratic Party is a mess. Um, the Democratic Party, we lost an election. Oh, good but let's remember, <laughs> this is true. Let's remember that two years from now, you've got a whole line of Republican senators up for re-election. No, more Democrats. Democrats. A lot of Democrats. Democrats. It's a bad year for Democrats yes. two years from now. Well, but yeah, but you've got Chuck Schumer, who is a ferocious fundraiser, and and I think he'll be he'll get the the Senate ready for that. Right. The other thing is, is I think he he asked Priebus to come to the podium. They have gotten a uh, on, on a, a good track, and there's rumor that Priebus might be asked to be his chief of staff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think you know. Uh, Justin, I jump in there. Yeah, I was just going to say um, that that just made me uh, think of something here. You know, what we don't want to see a repeat of is. Obamacare, where, you know, we're going to take a, a president who wants to have a signature issue, a legacy, and just ram it through the Senate and the House um, with no votes whatsoever in favor from the opposition party. And I think, yep. you know, uh, President-elect Trump is a smart guy, and he's going to see that as, you know, something that uh, needs to change, and he's going to work to bring over those votes. And, you know, quite frankly, that's what you need. I mean, you need to have when you produce something, you know, a bill that, uh, that goes out for the American people, it has to be representative of the American people. It can't be representative of just one half of it because what you're going to see, like in the first 100 days, is it's going to be all rolled back because you didn't talk to half of the people. Congressman Al. There's, there's an old political saying, you can't beat somebody with nobody. And I, I right. think <laughs> you want to get rid of Obamacare. What do you replace it with? Otherwise, you've got 20 million people well, that are just me, thrown out of health care. This brings yeah. up a very valid point. Ron Phillips, you know, as you know, somebody that works in health, as do I, you would go and try and deal with, as a Republican-focused lobbyist, you go and try and work with the other side. And then when you went back to our side, you'd get vilified. Why were you dealing with them? You shouldn't deal with them. Is that... Oh, yeah. Is it making real again with the election of Donald Trump? Are we going to start seeing the 
that iron wall between the Democrats and the Republicans come down where we can talk to each other again. There might even be mutual respect again. We might actually see progress in governance again. Yes, three different reasons. One, Donald Trump is not a politician. He's not wedded to the infightings and the political rancor that has gone on and on and on within inside the Republican caucus. So he is going to be able to come in from the outside with a fresh approach. Two, Donald Trump has worked with Democrats his entire life. He He's was a, a Democrat. He was a Democrat. He was a Democrat. He would build. He built. Hey, so was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, so was Ronald Reagan. But I mean, any man that can build a building in New York City. Are you telling me that he doesn't know how to work with Democrats? Come on. So I think exactly. that he has a skill set. Are you going to have a skill set that you can to be able to? Democrats will be president? I think that he is going to reach out to everybody. <laughs> I think that Donald Trump yeah. has got that. Yeah. And then the third and the final point out of all this is the power of the White House. You cannot underestimate the power of the White House. And when the White House is in control of the party, that the members are sitting in, that they belong to, in the body, in the legislative body, it is a natural progression that you allow the White House to lead, and then you look at, is that leadership where we want to go, or do we tweak it, and then that negotiation goes on. The power of the White House is immense, and everybody wants to be on the team. And if Trump has got all these levers pulling at the same time, I think you're going to be able to see how how you can moderate the extremes, and accentuate the outreach. Bob Hines. This is a marvelous opportunity for the Republican Party to make sure that they are unified, to make sure that they have some policies they want to pursue that are not so outrageous that the Democrats are all upset. There are a lot of things that need to be done. And with the two parties, I think if if the Republicans approach the Democrats willing to want to move something that the great Democrats can join in on because it's a reasonable proposal, it's not a, it's not a hard right proposal, that is the kind of thing, if we could start daddy right now, that would be a wonderful way, way to start the new year. So, but it's going to be difficult because both parties have been a hard time getting together. So but this is a good time to try. I, I agree with you, but from the hey, Tea Party hey, playbook, from, hey. from from their takeover in, in, in their house, after looking back at, remember, we did have one party rule for a brief period of time, though not a huge one party rule, a one party rule for a period of time on the front end of George W. Bush's administration. Uh, and there was huge deficit spending, not compared to the when Obama came in with with the with that economic catastrophe, but an un, an unprovoked level of deficit spending after surpluses, would a President Trump veto those that that kind of deficit spending if we were able to get ourselves into a position of fiscal policy again? Kevin, would a President Trump do that? Kevin, correct. Well, I, Justin, yeah, I just want to say I'm gonna gonna have to jump jump here, but um, I did want to end with uh, but saying that it's great to hear all this optimism about the election and the outcome. What's that, Kevin? Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it, oh, that's okay. I just said that you know I've got to jump here, but 
I'm very happy to have been in part of this discussion here and hear all this optimism about what's coming. You know, you, know, you guys are in the Beltway. It's great to know that there are people there who are optimistic as the, you know, for this new administration. And, you know, I, for one, certainly am as well. So, you know, fingers crossed, uh, we'll, we'll see some big changes ahead, but they should be changes for the better. Vice Chairman of the California Republican Party, Kevin Crick. Hey, Kevin, thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you. Uh, we, we go. We go to Ron Phillips real quick. Ron, can you answer Dan's question? Because he he needs an answer for that. Oh, Dan needs to an answer. Dan, <laughs> yeah. Dan needs more than an answer. Yeah. But uh, we have it. We have, it. We, we have we have evidence and facts on the field. Last time Republicans ran everything, so it's a, it's a reasonable question. And this is not ancient history. I mean, it, 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 here here's the thing. I believe that Trump is going to is going to work within the fiscal compound of trying to bring everybody together to get the ship righted. But as a man who's actually run a business, unlike most Democrats that currently reside in the legislative branch, he knows you're not going to change everything overnight, and that's going to have to be the moderating influence Absolutely. on the extreme right. Absolutely, that you can't do it all in one shot. You got to make it gradual. You got to make it. And again, Donald Trump, businessman not bureaucrat, is going to come in and start putting in programs that are going to show you how you get there. When you have a business, you have a business plan. How do you get there? You don't start off and have everything solved in the year one. It takes a five-year plan. It takes a longer year plan to build the perfect business. And, and you, I think and that's what he's going to try to do. With, and start. I think that's what he's going to try to do. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Bob Pines first, then Congressman Al. The smart thing to do for the Republicans is not to take hold something that they want really badly that is not friendly to Democrats. That'll kill the whole thing. Let's try to find out if you're a Republican leader. What's some things that go talk to some of your senior Republicans and Democratic friends together and say, like, what about this? What about that? Can you work with this on this one? How's this? How's this idea? There's going to be a lot. There's a lot of things that need to be done that are not quote partisan party issues. There are things that need to be done, and if we start with things that both parties can agree to, and start working along the first few months, it's going to be a very different Congress than what we've had recently. Congressman Al, the Kennedy Nixon Health Program might be a good place to start to achieve what you're talking about. Yeah. Red, dredge it up. I've uh, been saying that for months, and I get ridiculed for it. I never ridiculed. No, you didn't, it. but others at the table did. I don't want to point any fingers at, like, I don't know, Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Out of respect for my senior, I'm just going to ignore his idiotic suggestion. <laughs> I'm with you, Congressman Now I'm with you. I don't think I can take any more respect like that. <laughs> I think one of the big things, though, Justin, and, and just following up on earlier statements, is the I fact that, that so, oh, no, no, right, hold on, let, let Congressman no, 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 Al, no, 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 really you know, let Congressman Al finish real quick. You 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 shouted it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's Ron Phillips. I think I think what we're talking about is where we're going to have a different type of style of politics, where we're going to be working with the practical, not the partisan. Trump hasn't come up through the political ranks. He's come from the business world. 
and it's not going to be a partisan. It's not going to be a partisan playbook. It is going to be a practical playbook, and I think that's going to be the hallmark of his presidency. Let us hope. That all sounds good, but that's like saying this: this the, the Congress, which knows how government operates and works, is suddenly going to turn everything over to a business guy who doesn't know anything about any particular domestic or foreign policy issue, and it's going to somehow generate a new business model. It won't happen. He's going to become the politician. He's got amazing political instincts. He just got himself elected to president. He's been giving money to politicians with with not a very good understanding of what he was getting, because he always said, oh, I'd give money, and then I'd get whatever I wanted. But which just isn't how it works, but right. maybe that was that, that that was his view. But he is going to have to learn how to get along with Republicans, which is no easy matter because there's this huge divide. And then he's going to have, have to start reaching out to Democrats. I think he has the potential to do that. People like Bill and Hillary Clinton, when asked why they went to his wedding, said, because he's fun. He's yeah. a good guy. He's entertaining. He he's you know he's got a little bit of of of, of Tip O'Neill right. and Ronald Reagan right. in him as being I'm a guy to, be. to have a beer with. Be. Carl Tubin. Well, hopefully by this time, uh, Trump has reached out to Chuck Schumer, and also hopefully he'll reach out to Nancy Pelosi, because uh-huh. if we get all of these people working together, he's got it's, it's a a lot better than what has gone on in, in the past eight years. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you right now that Donald Trump already has a relationship with Chuck Schumer. I'm sure. Right, and yes. so that's going to help him as he begins exactly. this process. It's a great person. Yeah. Right. It's a great guy. To be last, last, well, I want to get – I, I, I promised Ron the last one. Ron, the last question is a lot of disenfranchised Republicans out there. Does the Donald Trump Republican Party – Welcome back those that were not specifically supporting Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I, again, I think when you win, you're happy, and everybody brings it in. I think it's going to be a brilliant. I think that yeah. you're going to, I think you're going to be reminded of your sin for a few more weeks. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that brings up that brings up the important conversation that you and I had prior to the election, and the immortal words that you need to speak over this microphone, saying that Ron was right. And I, I promised you I would say it. it. I promised you I would say it. <laughs> On the air, live, Ron was right. There I go. will give that to him. See, that's the, the buying of the Republican there Party it is. There it is. as we say. Uh, normally, we would be going through and doing our Tell Me a Story. No, well, you're going to have to hold it until next week, Congressman. <laughs> we don't have enough time. Actually, actually, it's 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 All right, real quick. Tell me a story, Congressman. Yeah, we, owe, we owe him something. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi, big question. Is she going to retire or is she, as you know, the majority, or is she going to hang on yet again? And I think somebody new would probably be a better position than Nancy Pelosi. Kenny Hoyer, might she resign (laughs) now? Right. Or as as majority leader. Well, if she did that, I think she'd leave the House. Good. Which yeah yeah fair <laughs> enough. No, uh, party that's, that's unity. That's a really interesting party unity. thing. That's that's interesting. Interesting. Hold on, hold on, real quick. 
Real quick. Why wait two years? Dan Littner, you had something relevant, and then I gotta I gotta go to my last. Day. Yeah. So so there there's one story, and I was trying to think of where the Obama coalition vanished and came back. And there's a story that Obama told, uh, consistent on, on during his campaign about a young lady named Ashley who would eat a her mom became uh, sick and they had trouble paying their bills, and she and she was telling her story at, at an Obama rally at an Obama. Uh, volunteer event, and she said she would, she convinced herself that, and convinced her mom that she just wanted to eat relish and mustard sandwiches, because the cheapest thing they could possibly afford, and that wasn't the key to the story for me. The key to the story for me was an African-American gentleman also in this group, when asked why he was here, he said, I'm here for Ashley, and that was the kind of divide that Hillary didn't bridge, that there is a likeness amongst everyone that brings the campaign. Right. Hillary didn't have that. Yeah. All right. Uh, one final note, I got, and I have to end it on, on a somewhat sad note. Uh, one of our colleagues here at Backroom Politics, Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, who was dying to be here today, uh, unfortunately, uh, last night, lost his father, Dr. Frederick Carradine. Uh, Dr. Carradine was an Army vet, retired member of the Senior Executive Service with the uh, federal government, former president of the Madison County, Alabama Democratic Party. Um, he passed away watching the returns come in last night. Do it to us, yeah. yeah, well, Ken, 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 apparently, I was talking to Ken earlier when he was telling me, and he said, you know what, if, if I didn't know any better, my dad probably saw the return, saw Trump won, and said, screw it, I'm checking out, everybody <laughs> goodbye, and dropped the mic. Uh, obviously, our thoughts and our prayers are with uh, with Ken, his uh, his brothers, and his mom, and and the entire Caradine family. We we feel for your brother. We miss you. Wish you were here today. But anything we can do for you, we're here for you. And and of course, we want to keep a good civil servant like Dr. Caradine in our thoughts and prayers as well. With that, on behalf of Bob Hines, Congressman Al Swift. Alan Moore, uh, Carl Tubin, Dan Lipner. Special thanks to Kevin Crick, Vice Chair of the GOP out there in California, and, of course, our old friend, former D.C. Republican Chairman Ron Phillips. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week at our usual time, usual day, on Tuesday, live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bob? The place to be. Yeah, that's right. You can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. You can follow us and our comments on our partner at Sidewire, sidewire.com. Follow our Twitter account at Backroom Politics, or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. Folks, have a great week, America. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.